who sent? You sent for me. Now this looks like a job for me. So everybody just follow me. Because we need a little controversy. Because it feels so empty without me. Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about God's masculine love. A type of love that is uniquely found in men. It's masculine, right? The scandal of a male Bible. The age of men is over. The time of the woman has come. David A. Klein's complains, and uh, he's a liberal scholar, and he complains about the scandal of the male Bible. He writes, The Bible is a male book written by men for men and enshrines male values and promotes and inculcates them. It everywhere esteems men above women. It portrays a deity infused with male values. Yahweh is a masculine God. <laughs> Yahweh is incredibly masculine. And uh, in this love for mankind, he puts mankind in the feminine role. Yahweh is the man of the relationship. And today we're going to be talking about genders and gender roles, differences between the sexes, and masculine love, what that looks like. And then we're going to talk about Ezekiel 16 and how God's masculine love plays out in the story of the Bible. But we're going to start this podcast with a trigger warning. Trigger warning, you will be triggered. And that's because we're going to be talking about very socially sensitive subjects that people care a lot about. And so we're not going to be treading lightly. And just to recall, when we're going through all this, when we're talking about statistics, when we're talking about averages, when we're talking about uh, people in aggregate, we're not talking about individuals. And so if you have an outlier, you say, oh, if I say something like men are generally more intelligent than women, they have higher IQs, you might be able to pull out examples. And I got a lot of women scholars who I love and I follow. Christine Hayes, we got Miriam Brand, we got Ellen Pagels, we got Christina Hoff Summers. They exist. They exist. But they're outliers. They, they, an outlier doesn't tell us anything about the mean or the average or uh, the aggregate, right? We care about groups in average. So men and women, we are different. Switching back to Genesis 3, we see a curse. And the different curse is given to men and women. Mankind is in the garden. They had just fallen. They had just eaten of the fruit that God had told them not to eat of. And God is doling out punishments. To women, he says this. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This reads a little differently in the ESV where it says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And we kind of understand both readings. So in one, your desire is for your husband, he shall rule over you. Women want a protector. They want someone to provide for them. They want someone with whom they could feel safe. And in this other one, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Men and women are at cross odds, cross purposes. They value and desire different things, which causes conflicts in relationships. But he shall rule over you nonetheless. And that's a general theme we see throughout history in all societies where the men are generally are the rulers of the household. It's subverted in some cultures and some places, and uh, a lot of uh, big cities in the U.S. are starting to turn that way. But generally throughout history, it's been, quote unquote, a patriarchy. We could get into that a little bit later. Maybe, maybe if we got time, if, if we're actually a patriarchy or not. But uh, here's the curse to Adam. He says this, because you have not listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So Adam has to work. 
Adam's the one that has to go out and labor and toil and innovate and figure out how to produce. And uh, he can't be a freeloader anymore. The man's curse is that they have to be productive, whereas women's curse is that they are subservient to the men. So moving into personalities, let's understand the differences between men and women when it comes to personality tests. And we're going to be talking about the big five because that's more predictive than the Myers-Briggs or anything like that. The big five will actually predict who's going to be your best workers. It's going to also predict stuff like uh, who you're going to vote for. And if you're really high in neuroticism, you're going to be voting for Hillary Clinton. But neuroticism, let's talk about neuroticism. Neuroticism describes the tendency to experience negative emotion and related processes in response to perceived threat and punishment. These include anxiety, depression, anger, self-consciousness, and emotional lability. Women have been found to score higher than men on neuroticism as measured at the big five trait level, as well as most of the facets of neuroticism, including in a common measure of the big five, that N-E-O-P-I-R. Additionally, women also score higher than men on related measures not designed specifically to measure the big five, such as indices of anxiety and low self-esteem. The one facet of neuroticism in which women do not always exhibit higher scores than men is anger or anger hostility. So women are more neurotic, less emotionally stable, more uh, overreactive to perceived threats than men on average. Men tend to be more calculated and cool and able to engage perceived threats or perceived changes or just any type of uh, adversary that comes their way than women are. Women are high in neuroticism. Agreeableness. And and what we're reading here, this is uh, gender differences in personality across the 10 aspects of the big five. By Yana J. Weisenberg, Colin G. D. Young, and Jacob B. Hirsch. Agreeableness. Agreeableness comprises traits relating to altruism, such as empathy and kindness. So who do you already think is going to score higher on this? Agreeableness involves a tendency towards cooperation, maintenance of societal harmony, and consideration of the concerns of others. Women consistently score higher than men on agreeableness and related measures such as tendered mindedness. And remember back to our Jordan Peterson interview that we covered. In that interview, he tries to explain to this woman interviewer that women make less than men in part because they're more agreeable. They're more likely to roll over and take whatever position or wage they're offered, less likely to fight for that extra pay, fight for that extra job. And she was a very disagreeable woman. And that's part of the reason she is where she was. And he pointed that out to her. He's like, you're not very agreeable. That's probably why you're in the position you are. Agreeableness, uh, it correlates to income. And that's part of the reason in the differential between male, female pay in the workforce. When hacked emails about her movie American Hustle revealed that she was paid less than her male co-stars, she wrote about it saying if she were honest with herself, it was partly because she had fallen into a trap women face, not wanting to be difficult or spoiled, while men don't care. My question to myself was why am I not asking for it? And I think I know that I've always kind of carried a habit of submissiveness with the idea of that makes me more likable. But men are less agreeable. That means they, they, they fight for themselves. They stand up for themselves. They're less likely to want to maintain a good relationship. They're willing to stand up for what they believe. And that, that sounds like men, right? Men will go out and they'll fight and they will make things happen. 
They won't be pushovers. They'll they'll take charge and they'll rule. It is a decision that I, I, I've made. I'm not going to turn back. So we're going to skip down to extroversion because there's no real concernable difference in conscientiousness, which is the hardworking and ethics, stuff like that, between men and women. But extroversion, extroversion relates to sociability, assertiveness, and positive emotionality, all of which have been linked to sensitivity to rewards. It says this, Whereas gender differences are small on overall domain level of extroversion with women typically scoring higher, the small effect size could be due to the existence of gender differences in different directions at the facet level. Women tend to score higher than men on warmth, gregariousness, and positive emotions, whereas men score higher than women on assertiveness and excitement seeking. So men are extroverted in that they like thrills. They like to go do stuff. They're going to be the astronauts of the world. They're going to be jumping out of planes and landing into nets. That's who men are. And women just are more reserved than that. But they do score higher in social ability, interacting with others. So the social work, women dominate social work because that's the type of job or skill set that appeals to them. Working with people. Men don't like working with people. Men... <laughs> Men tend to be the programmers, the mathematicians, the scientists who care about labs and results and statistics and not this interaction. So you see different dominances in different fields uh, in the workforce just based on people's innate preferences, what they care to do. Already we're seeing different pictures of the different gender groups. Women are more nurturing and tender-minded and altruistic, where men tend to be more introspective and they are more confident and resolute, less, less agreeable. They're going to go out and fight. They're going to innovate. They're going to produce. They, 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 they don't have to feed off of others for their self-fulfillment. They can work in labs. They could work as garbage men. They could work in mines. They also tend to be more rational and objective. So men, let's talk about what we do know about men. They're innovative. All the great innovators of history have been men. There's, there's a few women that are trotted out from time to time, but they're few and far between. Just because of our gender differences, men are more industrious and they're more innovative. They care more about singular pursuits. Take Nikolai Tesla, for example. He cared so much about his work that he didn't have any real relationships and he had the singular focus on getting his job done. The thing he wanted to do. Men, men gamers. I think I've before spent 20 hours in front of a computer screen. Straight, just, just taking bathroom breaks. Some people don't even do that. Men are singularly focused and dedicated. When they get something in their head, they're going to strive over all obstacles to get that through a lot of personal sacrifice and pain and to over overcome all barriers to get what they want, what they desire. Women, not so much. They're not as tenacious as men. They're not going to give up all their comforts of life to go explore through the jungles, the wildernesses in order to find tribes that have never before been reached. They're not going to be the ones deep diving to the bottom of the sea to explore there. Men are the people who push out and uh, get themselves killed. They get themselves killed in pursuit of adventure, innovation, exploration. And uh, in all of that, men are self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing. Men are the ones who go to war. Men are the ones who fight to keep safe their families, keep safe their way of life. 
They are the ones who, if the Titanic's sinking, who's getting off? The women and the children are getting off. The men are self-sacrificing in order to make that happen. Consider, for instance, movies that appeal to men more than women. A die Hard, Braveheart, a superhero genres. Who are men looking to emulate? Who, who, who are our heroes? Are, it's the guys who go out there and get things done, who, who save the world, who, who save, save their town, who, who fight and sacrifice and, uh, you know, saving Private Ryan. They go out there and they die for an ideal. They die for the guy next to them. They're self-sacrificing. It, it's this hero mentality. We want to be the ones who save the day. We want to be the ones who, who come in and make things right, who solve the situation if a woman's ever telling you about her problems, don't try to solve it because she's not the type who wants solutions to her problems. She cares more about this personal interaction and being able to vent. I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. So a lot of husbands don't understand this, and so their their wives will come to them with problems, and the men will jump in. They want to be the hero. They want to save the day. They want to give the information that's going to get their wife to the right place to deal with this problem, but that's not what she wants. <laughs> and married men can back me up on this. They understand the psychology of women that's not what they want. They just want an ear to listen. They want someone to commiserate with because of the commiseration is the point and it's not the solving of the problem. So think about female movies now. At female movies, it's all about the woman. Oh, this woman is a screw up. Who's that uh, pretty woman movie? This, this lady's like a prostitute and then then this guy comes in, this rich man, this rich, attractive man, sweeps the prostitute off her feet and then uh, brings her home and gives her a mansion, gives her money and falls in love with her and then uh, pursues this prostitute to the ends of the world. Uh, I was watching this this like Mandy Moore movie with my wife, A Walk to Remember. And what that's about is this woman gets this cancer and she's like a teenage girl and she gets cancer and she has this boyfriend. And what does he do? Oh, he proposes so they could get married before she dies. And it's, it's all about the girl. It's all about the girl in these female uh, romantic comedies or just romance movies. And, and this woman is who these women want to be. They want to be the ones that other people sacrifice for. They want to be the stars of all attention. They, they want to be able to get through all their personal problems without any real repercussions, like that pretty woman movie. It doesn't matter who she was and how bad of a person she was and how undesirable as a wife she should have been, uh, you know, that all those things don't matter and uh, men should just fall over, head over heels for them. So with all this in mind about who men are, who are men attracted to? Men are attracted to beauty. Men are attracted to youth. Men are attracted to skinny women who can bear children. Notice, notice what we're talking about here. None of these things that we're talking about here is earned value. A woman doesn't have to prove herself. She doesn't have to be like a man who goes out and gets a job and earns eighty or $100,000 a year before a man's going to look at her. Women's societal value to men is front-loaded, unearned. And it's just, just given to them. Because what do men want? 
The men are singularly focused. They're dedicated. They want things. They want to earn things. They want to find this object of their affection and lavish all their love on that object. And they're, they're even willing so far as to die for them. You get so many white knighters out there in the world who just want to protect women at all costs. And so they'll go around these white knighters. That's, that's, that's a term on Twitter where they see, oh no, a woman's being harassed. And so they'll try to swoop in and save the day because their protective instincts kick in. Now let's talk about women and narcissism. Women have this overinflated self-value of themselves. They rate themselves higher than they actually are. And we see that in how they rank men. 80% of men are ranked by women as below average. 80% as below average. Whereas when men are ranking women, you see a normal bell curve where 50% of women are below average and 50% of women are above average. But women, when they're ranking men, the results don't translate back. So you have this wide discrepancy in how the different genders rank each other on scales of attractiveness. And that leads to all sorts of situations in which you have women running around saying, oh, the right guy's not out there. I know I can't find the Mr. Right. And uh, there's no one out there for me. Well, well, you need to lower your standards. The people are out there. You just have an overinflated self-worth. So looking at these charts, these charts are compiled by OkCupid and the response rates. And when there's a female sender, a male's reply all the time. There's, there's a pretty good response rate, at least 50% response rate. Whereas the male senders, if a male is sending a message, you get around maybe 20%. It clusters around the 20% response rate. What this tells you is that there's a vast gender differential in how selective these individuals are of who they respond to. And men, uh, I'm sorry to say, men have a harder time at getting responses. Men have a t harder time in the dating world. Unless, of course, let's let's switch to this other OK Cupid response rate chart. This is a response rate by age and income. And you see a lot of red going on there. If you have a very low income and you're above 22 years old, no one responds to you. No one wants to be you. No woman wants a man in his 20s or 30s or 40s or above who's not making any income. You see a lot of green and high response rates to the very young people between 18 and and 20 and above age 22 you see a lot of green in the 80 to 100k income range women they care about youth for a little bit for a little bit but then they really care about income income is a major deal that's one of the things women look for when selecting mates they want to marry up and this is known as hypergamy women want to marry up social stratas men don't care Men don't care. Men care about youth and beauty. They'll marry down. They'll marry the princess dies of the world. That that prince, Prince Henry, he just married that uh, actress, this, this actress nobody who's a d divorcee, and he brought her up into royalty. Oh, hypergamy. And uh, it, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. If you're a female, men will marry down. They will marry you into their social strata, whereas the opposite is not true. Women do not like to marry down. When women marry down, those marriages end in divorces more often than not. There's, well, I think there's an extra 50 percentile divorce rate on those types of marriage where the women out-earns the man. Women do not have respect for men who make less and earn less than them. And that's why being like one of these white knights on the internet, it's not very conducive to actually attracting a woman because women have no respect for a man who doesn't have any self-worth, who doesn't stick up for himself, who doesn't uh, ha produce anything. A man who doesn't 
show himself as above the social status of the woman who he's trying to woo. It doesn't work like that. Being nice to women does not work for relationships. I know my boys, I told my boys, you guys need to toughen up. Girls do not like nice guys. And they're like, dad, dad, but mom likes you and you're a nice guy. I'm like, here guys, I hate to break it to you. Hate to break it to you. I'm not a nice guy. Not a nice guy. You know, I've, I've never been very nice to any of the ladies I've ever dated. Not a nice guy. But uh, women don't like nice guys. If you, you do everything you can for her, if you buy her everything she ever wanted, and it's a very famous phenomenon on the internet where people get friend zoned. Women do not have respect for those type of guys. Women don't want that type of uh, adulation. They lose respect for them. It's not attractive in a man, a man who's not confident, a man who doesn't know where he's going, a man who doesn't hold himself in a higher position than her. Women don't like that. So I love this. You just put in like marry down, women who marry down, throw it into Google and you'll get such uh, gems as this. The unsettling side effect of marrying down and aimed towards women. Smart women need to marry down to become mothers, researchers say. High-flying career women are refusing to marry down. Women marrying down as men become less educated. Oh no, this this oh, horrible social implication of women who have to, oh no, marry down? Just like men marry down? Oh, it's so shocking. And you get a lot of articles too of the, all these rich women out there who are like powerful lawyers and CEOs and they just can't find a man. And it's funny because they think that they're attracted that men are attracted to the same things that, that they're attracted to. And so she'll be like, well, maybe if I have a really good paying job and if I'm independent and strong, then a man will love me. No, men are not attracted to that. That is, that is the opposite of attractive to a man is a strong, independent woman. <laughs> and men want someone to protect. Men want someone to love, to, to pour their desire pour their adulation into that that's who men are looking for as mates not these strong independent woman who takes care of herself and now earns him and uh you know that's that's self-abasing to go out to and and mate and marry these women and those women have no respect for the men that they get involved with either i married beneath me psychology today the upside of marrying down oh it's uh, so bad when women marrying down and all these websites, you know, they're, they're like, oh, I married beneath me. Oh, it's so terrible. And these are supposed to be like the progressive leftist websites. And they've, they've bought into this natural gender differences where women are hypergamous and women marry up. And they acknowledge it. They acknowledge it with all these sob articles about these women who can't find mates. So my name is Amy Webb. And a few years ago, I found myself at the end of yet another fantastic relationship that came burning down in a spectacular fashion. And uh, I thought, you know, what's wrong with me? I don't understand why this keeps happening. So that, that's down and dirty of genders and gender differences and how we carry ourselves. So let's talk about men's love. We've already talked about what men desire. Men want an object of affection, someone to pour their heart, soul, and love into, someone to sacrifice for, someone to protect, someone to give, someone to to, to create a family around, create a life around, give all their attention to. 
and pour their love into. That's who men are wanting, an object of desire. Male love is about the woman, whereas women's love for men is generally about what type of material wealth that individual can provide, what kind of safety. It's about these other features other than the man himself. It's a key difference between the different type of loves between the genders. Men love women for the women themselves. Women love men for what men can provide for the women. Yeah, hashtag not all, hashtag not all. You might have a a personal counterexample. It doesn't disprove the general things that we see in studies, surveys, in uh, general cultural trends. And uh, it doesn't doesn't shift the aggregate, your one example. So male love is self sacrificing. So think about the movie Titanic. It was one of the, like the highest grossing movies of all time. And uh, there was an interview with James Cameron where where it's Mythbusters and they're like Mythbusters came in and they said, "Oh, Jack could have survived too. There's enough room on this uh, floating little uh, dresser or piece of wood or whatever. There's enough room to save both of them." And James Cameron said, "Well, that might be the case, but the plot called for Leonardo DiCaprio to die." Based on our experiments, we have to find that they both could have survived on that board. Really? There were a couple of things, and the first was that we were able to retie the life preserver that Rose was wearing underneath the board, and that gave it more buoyancy. And we were able to prop up our bodies on the board so that most of our body mass was actually outside of the water. Based on that, we got to say, this is plausible. Rose and Jack could have survived. I think you guys are missing the point here. The script says Jack dies. He has to die. The plot would would not have worked otherwise because women want that self-sacrifice. That's what appeals to them when a man self-sacrifices. And it appealed to men as well, this self-sacrificing action by the main hero. So Titanic was a big hit among both genders just because of how it uh, carried itself. The movie would not have been a success if Jack had lived. What, would there be like a post-sequence scene where Jack and her are, you know, having babies and living off the grand life? No, it doesn't work. That that destroys the entire mystique of the movie. Male love is self-sacrificing. Male love is going to work for 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. A lot lot of these, uh, when you research history, the long hours that people have put in to provide for their families, it's mind-boggling what men go through to make sure their wives have decent lives. And when they can, they make sure their wives don't work. When they have the means and ability to do so. Men's love, unwavering and dedication. A lot of men, they commit suicide at the end of relationships that go south. And uh, even take married couples where the wife dies and the man's old, they tend to die right away. Because men can't live without women. Men need women. They, they want that object of affection. Whereas women, if their husband die, they, they just keep on living forever. Yeah, they don't care. Not that they don't care. They, they, they care, but it's not like it's not as deep of an affecting moment as it is for men to lose their wife. Men are incredibly jealous. And so while women, the possessive women, when men go out, they, they won't want their man to be even talking to other men because they just want to control that man. But men's jealousy works different. Men's jealousy is they want to protect their wife or their girlfriend from other guys. It's okay if she goes out with her friends and does stuff, but just stay away from other guys. 
men are jealous of their wives or girlfriends. They want to protect them from other suitors, people who are going to steal them away. Male love is condescending. It's uh, going down and reaching down that social strata and grabbing someone from below your position and bringing them up. It's, I don't care about, uh, you know, all your assets. I don't care about oh, you being part of uh, this lower social strata. I'm going to come down. I'm going to save you. I'm going to dedicate myself to you. doesn't matter about these other material things. I am going to give up my position to move to where you are to make things right between you and me, to build this love relationship between you and me. Male love is protecting. Men always want to protect women. You see this in the criminal justice system, especially where women always get less harsh sentences than men for the same crimes because people just, they see a woman like a, who's that woman who, who killed her lover, took her stiletto and put it through his forehead. And she's, she's crying in her interviews to the male and the men are like, oh, this, this this poor woman, oh, she's so traumatized by her relationship. And then the like the woman interviewer comes in, and it's an entirely different scene. Bring your problem. Excuse me, there's water for you. Jeez. Um, yeah. Can you maybe turn the heat up in here? I don't know if you have a sweater that can borrow or something. I don't have any sweaters. Um, I'll see if I can turn it off. It's hard to pull the heat in this building. I hope you noticed during that little short snippet of how much it's me, 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 me. I'm cold. Do you have a sweater? Can you turn the heat up? I need some water. Thank you for the handcuffs. Me, 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 me. Detective Rachel Blaney, um, and I'm here with Jody Arias. Is that how you say your last name? Arias. Okay, I'm sorry. This is just formality, um, and this is, you know, if, if I have to, you know, write up a report of, of what we talked about, at least I know. Now, I left a little play there. She has now crossed her arms in front of her to deal with this female detective. She does not have a sexy pose on with her hand up underneath of her hair on her neck. She's just gated and closed off towards the female detective. And that is the difference between how she treats a female and male detective. She was just as open and semi-flirty with the male detective as with the female detective. But when it came to sitting down and talking with the female detective, she became closed off and did not do sexy. She realizes that she's not going to get anywhere with this other woman because this woman doesn't have the natural instinct to protect that men do. Men see women in trouble and they're like, oh, I'm going to go white knight and, and save this situation. And, oh, I'll fight for you and I'll protect you. It's... It's this natural instinct in men to protect women. Men are providing. Men men are providing. So who do you think spends most of the income in the United States? Yeah, yes, yes, men make more than women, but who spends all that money? Women make 80% of all spending decisions in the U.S. They don't make anywhere close to that in total income. Men earn the money, women spend it. Men are providing. They self-sacrifice to give their wives, their spouses, and their family income to spend on their needs. Male love is uh, self-emasculating. Men will go through the most emasculating things just for the love and attention of a woman. And uh, you, <laughs> you got those friends, right? You got those friends who the woman wears the pants in the relationship and the man will just bend down and just do anything for her. And uh, it always, it always uh, makes me cringe a little bit when I, I encounter those relationships. 
So how do women show love? Women show love by their attention, their affection, their presence. If a woman loves a man, they want to spend time and be around that man and bear children for him, buried children, bearing children and presence. Whereas a man, the presence isn't quite as crucial where the men show the love through going out into the workforce, getting uh, money and getting provisions and bringing it back to the household. Women want to spend time. They want to have this quality time, raise a family. That's how women show love. So you got two different, very different models of love that we just talked about, which, which boils down to the basic gender differences between the sexes. This is who we are. So who does Yahweh look like? In all these attributes, in all these attributes, Yahweh in the Bible, he's industrious, he's, he's smart, he is, there's, there's eight moments of anger. Remember, men rank higher in anger than women. There's a lot of assertiveness and in, even moving to love, moving to love, self-sacrificing. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? That sounds like the plot of the Bible, that Jesus came to earth, died for our sins, and rose again. The core gospel of the Bible is masculine love, of self-sacrifice, of dying for others. This is masculine love. So unwavering dedication. Dedic what does that sound like? That sounds like the entire history of humankind, especially between God and Israel, how Israel continually violates uh, God's trust and continually enrages him, but he's he's dedicated and he and he keeps going on with the relationship, even though he has every reason to leave. Jealousy. Jealousy is a major theme of the Bible. God is a jealous God. He doesn't want Israel worshiping any other God except for him. No other gods before me. And when Israel did start worshiping other gods, that was one of the cardinal sins. That and morality. When they slipped in morality or when they worshiped other gods, that's when that ban hammer came down and they suffered real consequences. And notice that kind of love. That kind of love is not the love that's propagated by modern Christianity and modern American culture. Oh, if you love your wife, you'll let her walk all over you and you'll never have any reaction and she could go cheat on you and that's fine. And then you just can't do anything about that is not the love of the Bible. That's the love of uh, Platonic religion. Remember all these uh, early Gnostics, they thought that the God of the Old Testament was not a real God because his love was uh, it had anger, had jealousy, had emotions. But what does that all sound like? Anger, jealousy, emotions. That is masculine love. That is the picture of masculine love. That's who males are and how we react and how we would react in a relationship. You have a wife, she cheats on you. You're just going to sit by passively and say, oh, I forgive you. And that's apparently love. That is not love. Love has an inherently emotional trigger a trigger response. And that trigger response might actually be in anger. It might be in sorrow. It might be in rage. It might be in, in utter, utter, utter shock and disbelief. That is male love. It's not this uh, platonic passivity that uh, people want in God when they say, oh, the, the God of the Old Testament is not loving. Well, you don't know what love is. You do not know what love is because that absolutely 100% that is what love is. So love is condescending. Masculine love is condescending. God condescending to mankind. God condescending to his created creature for a love relationship. 
very condescending. Love is protecting and providing. God continually protects and provides for his people. Throughout the Bible, sometimes it's withdrawn once those people become in rebellion, when they start cheating on him, having adulterous affairs, and he can't stand it anymore. But overall, he wants to be that protector. He wants to be the provider. And a lot of those promises of a future restoration involve this protection, promise, provision, that they're going to live happily ever after with everything that they ever need. And so with that, let's go look at the story of Ezekiel 16. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. He's saying you are the prostitute in the movie Pretty Woman. You have, you're nothing. You came to the table with nothing. You were of low origin. And for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. You're poor. You're destitute. You're, you're, you're like dirt. You're like dirt. That's who you are. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out in the open field. You were of a horde on the day you were born. You're, you're again, you're nothing. You, you were thrown out there like worthless dirt, worthless dirt. And when I passed by you and saw your wallowing in blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair grown. Yet you were naked and bare. He says, I came in, I swooped in, I white knighted, I lifted you up from your lowly position. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were of the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. God condescended. He he gave his dedication to someone unworthy who had, had nothing except for, of course, this front-loaded beauty that we talked about. Nothing, nothing to offer, offer, nothing to bring to the table. And he is opening up himself for this love relationship, this condescending love that offers protection, a livelihood. It offers a future and a family. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil, provision, male love. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod your, you with fine leather, I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. Look at that, more provision. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. Put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. He's just lavishing her with gifts, provisions. That's how he's showing love. Showing love through gift giving. That's a very masculine thing to do. I show my children love. I buy them candy. I buy them things that make them happy and it makes me happy. I love my children. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. I brought you to this position. I brought you up. I condescended. I pulled you up from the gutter, the trash, where you were born. But you trusted your beauty and played the whore, narcissism. Because of your renown and lavished your whorings on passerbyers, your beauty became this. You took some of your garments and made yourself colorful shines, and on them played the whore like has never been or ever shall be. Look at this degrading action towards Yahweh God. God has given 
Israel all these beautiful things, all these beautiful promises and gifts. And what do they do? They turn those gifts into ways to defile the relationship between Israel and God. God is engaging in self-debasing activity by pursuing this individual who has used his own resources to profane his name, defame him, pull him down into the gutter. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made yourself images of men, and with them played the whore. Notice this setup. This is set up as for more self-abasement. God is going to self-abase himself by continuing in this relationship with an individual who does not deserve it whatsoever, who has done such defiling things with his own resources against him. And you took your sons and daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were, were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as offering by fire to them? Child sacrifice in Israel. And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember these days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in blood. Narcissism. Again, narcissistic activities where there's ingratitude shown by the receiving party. Yahweh, the male in this relationship, has pulled this individual, Israel in this case, up from the gutter, gave her all sorts of rewards, uh, raised her into a beautiful young youth, offered everything he's had. Zero gratitude. Zero gratitude. It's very typical female behavior, especially the guys I talk to who've been through divorces where the, their wives take everything. And the wives didn't earn this money. And these wives get to live the rest of their lives off of earnings they never earned. They didn't go out into the workforce and build these earnings up. Their value to the relationship was front-loaded youth and beauty. They didn't provide anything. They didn't bring anything to the relationship. Skipping down, at the head of every street you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerbyer and multiplying your whoring. Men don't like women who whore around. They, they just don't. They don't like the prostitute. They're, they're not attracted to women who have been with a, like a ton of men because of jealousy. Men like exclusivity in their females. It's, it's <laughs> Remember that article going around that everyone was criticizing where the, the woman was trying to warn young ladies that men don't like women who've uh, slept around and all, all the women were all angry. It's, it's like, that's the truth. Yeah, you got you, It's the truth. You got to deal with it. Deal with the truth. It's gross. It's gross. No one wants that. No one wants that. You also played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke anger to me. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allocated portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and you were still not satisfied. So look at this, this love of God, it yes, it, it does manifest in itself in not not giving in to this, not not uh, reinforcing this by just continually to lavish more and more gifts. It's a withdraw, it's a pull back. It's like I'm taking my stuff. You know, you have burned me, you have burned me, and it hurts me and it pains me, and I gotta pull out of this destructive relationship. You multiplied your whoring also with the trading land of Chaldea. And even with this, you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute. Worse than a prostitute because she's not getting money for it. 
building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square, yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. You didn't, no one had to pay for sex with you. They, they didn't. You were worse than a prostitute. At least a prostitute is earning something of value in return for the prostitution. She's getting some money. She's making a livelihood. Uh, she's uh, giving some value to society, right? Some, some value. Not you. Not you. You're not doing that. You're not... You're not working. You're not a working lady. You're just, you're just, uh, you're just sleeping around. It's just, it's gross. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all of those who loved you and all of those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them and that they may see your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged, and bring upon you the blood and wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw you down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. And so this is this is vindictive. It's very vindictive, but it's not it's not a bad vindictiveness saying, you know what? Fine, uh, just go. These are the people. This is this is the bed you made. Uh, you could wallow in this bed, and you you could reap the consequences of your own actions. This is not a not loving action. This is exactly what you'd expect from a husband who has been so abused by his wife that she's out there, you know, sleeping around with all these other men, and he just wants her world to come crashing down on her. The, the bed that she's made. This is a visceral response to seeing the person you love, the object of your desire, so engaged in so debasing activity against herself and against you. Skipping down, so I will satisfy my wrath on you and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and will be angry no more. Look at that. God after he gets this satisfying response, you know, if someone has pained you really deeply and you watch them fall in the most uh, damaging manner, you know, that, that that will abate your anger. You will feel better after that event happens. It's a natural emotional response to the situation that we're presented here. If God was indifferent, if God was uh, passive, if God was impassable, and no one could affect God and God didn't have emotions, you would not be seeing this. You would see him do this like static uh, Vulcan thing where there's there's just letting things happen and no no such emotional, visceral, visceral gut reaction. So what God are we seeing here? The God of Greek philosophy or the masculine, deeply masculine God of the Bible who has the masculine love for Israel. This is how bad he's hurt. He's invested all his love in Israel, and this is how Israel has repaid him. And so, yeah, he is going to get some sort of pleasure, some sort of satisfaction in seeing Israel's fall. 
because you have not remembered the days of your youth and have enraged me with all these things. Therefore, behold, I have returned your deeds upon your head, declares the Lord God. Have you not committed lewdness in addition to all your abominations? Behold, everyone who uses the Proverbs will use this proverb about you like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and her children, and you are the sister of your sisters, who loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. You just feel the emotion coming through this passage. This passage is dripping emotion. God is mutable. He's not immutable. God is passable. He has very strong emotions. It's been dripping from every sentence of this page. God has been so violated by Israel that it has hurt him to the core. So let's skip down to verse 58. You bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord. Watch this turn in this passage. Remember back to masculine love. Self-emasculating. This is very emasculating. If God is to return to his wife after these adulteries, that is self-emasculation. And that's against uh, Israelite law. If your woman was an adulterer, if you divorced her or got rid of her, uh, she's stoned to death for being an adulterer. But you know, a lot of times that did not happen. They, they tended not to enforce that law. And so once you departed your wife or divorced your wife, you were not to return to her. But God, time and time again throughout the Bible, despite these violated covenants on Israel's behalf, does not divorce Israel. And once he does, he, he reignites that marriage. He reignites the marriage after the divorce, although that is against Mosaic code, Mosaic law. You're not supposed to do that. It's very self-abasing, self-abasing love. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on the account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, for all that you have done, declares the Lord, self sacrificing God's atoning for the sins that sins he did not commit. He's reestablishing a covenant. He's showing his love dedication, a very masculine love, this, this dedication to purpose. So running really quickly through our conception of masculine love, uh, it's self-sacrificing. Yeah, this is self-sacrificing. Unwavering dedication. There is unwavering dedication. Even though there's a spitefulness, vindictiveness, there's retribution, there's still an unwavering dedication that that underlies this entire passage. There's a reason why God wants this individual, his wife, to suffer so that she will return. The pain is supposed to bring a reconciliation between the two. And so there's a purpose in it. Jealousy, yeah, you see jealousy really deeply in this passage. Very masculine concept. Condescension, condescending all over the place. He raised her from the mud. He brought her up and gave her, raised her to a new social strata that she was not part of. Protecting and providing. You see that in the raising of Israel and even in the reconciliation where these other nations are going to be given to Israel, subservient to them. 
And of course, self-emasculating. <laughs> this is a very self-emasculating passage. Very self-emasculating. We see this throughout the Bible. God's masculine love, his masculine characteristics, his masculine emotions. And we understand if, if we're in this mindset, if we understand what's going on, if we're reading everything in context, if we put ourselves in the shoes of God, when God's experiencing all of this, we understand what's going on. We, we can identify with him. We don't have to be one of those people that say, oh, why is God so evil and mean in the Old Testament when he does these things? Read Ezekiel 16. This stuff is terrible. This stuff is so bad. No, it's not bad. Uh, you're just a nut job. You, you, you don't have real love. Uh, whatever love you have that you established in your own mind, it's a modern conception of love. It's not real masculine love. It, you, you might have this platonic Vulcan love that, that's not, not natural to human beings and is not real love. I, I don't think it is. If you're not feeling something at your core when you are so violated by the person you love, is that love? That's not love. Anyways, this is a very heavy episode, and uh, so leave all your hate mail down below, and that'll be fun. And uh, start a thread. Start a thread, and God is open. We could talk about these issues. God's masculine love. How God loves us. And no, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think masculine love is uh, toxic. I think masculine love is natural and healthy. All right, so thank you for listening. This is a, a fun podcast. 